0: welcome to the most sports podcast number 72 for the 19th of october 2021
1: oh and 9
0: with your host dr david
1: overby somebody's been listening to the most sports podcast greetings everyone this is dr dave overby and you're listening to the most sports podcast recorded on october the 19th 2021 the St. Louis Cardinals have fired Mike Schilt after Schilt's ridiculous move in the wildcard playoff game to bring in Alex Reyes, the Cardinals' most erratic and unreliable pitcher who had completely fallen apart down the stretch. Uh, Schilt brought in uh, Reyes in the bottom of the ninth to face uh, the Dodgers' Chris Taylor. And after three pitches, uh, Taylor hit a game-winning two, two-run home run to end the Cardinals' season. So who's been listening to the Mo Sports Podcast? It has to be the St. Louis Cardinals' front office. And this is why you need to keep listening to the Mo Sports Podcast, because we are the best sports journalism when it comes to covering American sports. There's no sugarcoating, there's no endless hype and sensationalism, and there's no coddling of these millionaire managers and coaches. Schilt made the worst move that he could have made with the Cardinals season on the line, and we posted about this immediately after the Cardinals lost that wild card game, again by the score of three to one. Alex Reyes, as he had been doing since August, giving up a game-winning home run, Schilt decides to bring in his most unreliable pitcher with the season on the line. You can visit us at www.facebook.com/mopod.mosports. Go to our page, scroll down to the middle of October. And you can find the article there. We put it up right after that game happened. And we were right. And Schilt should have been fired. It is a completely unacceptable decision. There's never been a worse managerial move made ever in Major League Baseball. Now, the other media have been reporting the firing of Mike Schilt as saying... Um, Well, the official reason that was given by the front office was that the Cardinals were uh, parting ways with Schilt because of philosophical differences. And uh, on uh, ESPN, uh, for example, one of the articles is, Cardinal fans deserve a better explanation than philosophical differences for the dismissal of Mike Schilt. Well, Why don't we be adults, and why don't we use our brains and actually think about this? Gee, what could it have been that caused Mike Schilt to get fired? I guarantee you here's what happened. Going into the wild card game, which is a winner-take-all, one-game deal. You lose this game, your season's over. I'll guarantee you that the front office was conferring with Schilt before the game about how to approach this most important game of the season and that what the front office was saying to Schilt is whatever you do, don't bring in Alex Reyes. Reyes cannot pitch in this game. So a quick overview of how Reyes completely disintegrated during the second half of the season. In his last 20 innings, Alex Reyes gave up uh, 17 runs, including seven home runs, and it all started on July the 20th when Reyes was brought in the ninth inning to head off what at the time was just the very beginning of a mild rally by the Cubs, who were trailing the Cardinals six to one. The uh, That's not a safe situation. It's a five-run lead. And so uh, someone else was brought in to finish up the game. You figure we're ahead six to one. You just bring somebody in. You get three outs, and it's over. But, of course, the Cubs started a rally. And so then Schilt brings in Reyes, and Reyes falls apart. He starts walking people. He gives up a couple of hits, and Mike Schilt won't take him out. Reyes keeps walking people, keeps giving up more hits. It's six to three, it's six to four, it's six to five. Schilt still won't take Reyes out, and then the Cubs hit a two run double to go ahead seven to six. Now that the lead has been blown, finally Schilt decides to take out Reyes, but of course now it's too late because you're behind, and the Cardinals go on to lose the game. Then on August the 29th, this would have been a Sunday, Reyes gives up a three-run home run in Pittsburgh to blow the game, blow the save, Cardinals lose. So at this point, you are out of your mind if you have not figured out Alex Reyes has fallen apart. He is not the same pitcher he was the first half of the season. You can't rely on him anymore. But what happens one week later, the following Sunday in Milwaukee, with a three-run lead ahead five to two, who's gonna come in to save the day with the bases loaded? That's right. Schilt goes with Alex Reyes, and boom, Mike Vogelbach, the big left handed slugger for the Brewers. Grand Slam home run. Six to five, Brewers win, Cardinals lose. So, fast forward to the wild card game a couple of weeks ago, facing the Dodgers. (laughs) Game is tied at one. There's uh, one out. It's the bottom of the ninth. And uh, McFarlane was in and gave up. Actually, there were uh, two outs. And uh, McFarlane gives up a two-out walk to Cody Bellinger, who, by the way, tonight was the hero for the Dodgers, hitting a game-tying three-run home run against the Braves. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first of all, you can look at it in uh, these terms. Uh, McFarlane is a pretty good pitcher. The one thing you definitely don't want to give up in a tie game in the bottom of the ninth is a home run. right? And McFarlane is known as a sinker ball pitcher. He's a ground ball pitcher. Good for getting double plays. So McFarlane walks Bellinger. Bellinger is a left-handed batter. McFarlane's a left-handed pitcher, so McFarlane can't get the left-handed batter out. So Schilt takes McFarlane out. Could have let, let uh, McFarlane in to pitch to Chris Taylor. Worst thing that's going to happen off McFarlane most likely is there's a ground ball base hit, but not a home run. But who does Schilt decide to bring in? That's right, Alex Reyes. And I was telling the people I was watching the game with at the time, here is what's going to happen. He's going to give up, Reyes is going to give up a home run and the game is going to be over. Except when it's a winner-take-all card game, it isn't just the game's going to be over, it's the season is over. And that means everything you've done since spring training, that's it. Close the books, it's over. There's no tomorrow, there's no 10th inning, you lose, that's it. No World Series this year. Done. And what happened is, after the front office and all of the the baseball minds and the Cardinals organization said, whatever you do, don't bring in Alex Reyes to pitch in a crucial situation. In fact, in a winner-take-all, you can't lose this game. Reyes shouldn't have even been on the radar to bring in the game maybe you can use him uh, when you advance and you've got a big lead or you're behind a lot and you need somebody to come in just to get you some outs and save the rest of your arms but Schilt who for whatever at- other attributes he may have uh, is obviously uh, stubborn and arrogant said nope I'm the manager I'm calling the shots raises is my man I'm going to bring him in and sure enough Yet, one more time, Alex Reyes had to give up up a game-winning home run. And within an hour of that game being over, we posted an article, Schilt makes the worst move he could have made with the Cardinals season on the line. Go to the page, look it up. Again, that's www.facebook.com slash mopod.mosports. Uh, By the way, we want to say hello to our friends and colleagues at the IFPR studios in Louisville, Kentucky and thank them for their excellent technical and production work. So, while we're on the topic of baseball, let's fast forward to the action this evening. The Atlanta Braves had the National League Championship in their hands and let it get away. And while it isn't nearly as bad as what Mike Schilt did in the wild card game, Brian Snitker, the Atlanta Braves manager, basically blew this game for the Braves. How did he do it? By wheeling and dealing and making one too many pitching changes over the course of the game. Now, the game was going the Braves' way, after falling behind early, two to nothing, to the Dodgers, the Braves got four runs in the uh, fourth inning, and they got some uh, breaks uh, to uh, to get that rally going. Uh, Gavin Lux, the uh, young twenty-three-year-old slugger who the Dodgers decided to throw into uh, center field, that's a questionable move by uh, Dave Roberts. Uh, But the Dodgers pulled it out. So in the fourth inning, with a runner on first and one out, a long drive is hit to deep center field, and Lux, uh, clearly not having the experience and the instincts of a seasoned outfielder, doesn't find the wall first, then look back up to find the baseball again, and if he has to move at all, He's only having to move forward, right? You go back as far as you can. You find the wall first. Then you find the baseball again. And if you do have to move, you can move forward, but you, you're you moving where your eyes are looking. So you can look at the ball and move at the same time. Uh, Lux misplayed it. It went off his glove. Should have been an error. It was ruled a double. Then the next batter which would have been Jock Peterson, uh, he of the uh, White Pearl Necklace. Peterson's been a money player in the playoffs, used to play for the Dodgers, and on a 1-2 pitch, uh, the Dodgers uh, pitcher throws a perfect strike three on the low inside corner, but it's called a ball. So bad break for the Dodgers. It gives Peterson another couple of pitches to look at, and whack line drive base hit right field. Now the Braves are on the board two to one. They wind up getting uh, three more runs in the inning. They're up four to two. Braves went ahead uh, five to two later in the game and had a chance to totally blow it open. And at the time, it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal. But with a chance to build on that five to two lead, uh, the next Braves batter hit into a double play. Then we go to the 8th inning, and uh, uh, Snitker, the manager, brings in yet another pitcher. Uh, this would have been the 4th Braves pitcher to enter the game, and this would uh, would have been Luke Jackson. And the uh, leadoff hitter, hitter for the Dodgers, uh, uh, catcher Will Smith, hits an opposite field, uh, base hit single, Uh, to get the rally started the next batter makes an out but then uh, AJ Pollock who was brought in to replace Lux in center field gets a base hit up the middle now we have uh, two runners on and only one out now here's one of the ridiculous things that Snitker does and that many managers have done that just doesn't make any sense if you're, if you're the manager and you're wheeling and dealing and you're bringing in one pitcher after another to either I want a lefty-lefty matchup or I'm going to change pitchers to uh, because uh, this hitter that's coming up has a career low average against somebody in my bullpen. I'm going to change pitchers again. I'm going to change pitchers again. Well, Jackson had faced the minimum three hitters Two of the three had gotten on base. So, why not go ahead and change pitchers again? But no. Jackson is left in the game to face Cody Bellinger. He throws a fastball. It's up up in the zone. And Bellinger whacks it out of the ballpark. Three-run home run. Game is tied. And you could just tell right then and there, the Dodgers are going to win this game. And yes, the Dodgers are going to go on and win the series and go to the World Series. And yes, this means more pain and agony for the Atlanta Braves, who have suffered uh, decades of agonizing moments in the playoffs. All of those great teams in the 1990s only won World Championship in 1995. And it's going to happen to them again. That... One swing of the bat by Bellinger totally changed the momentum of the series. Instead of being ahead three games to none, and it's basically a lot for the Braves, the Braves are now deflated, the Dodgers have their mojo back, the Dodgers are going to win the series. But here's where Snicker makes it even worse. After changing pitchers, the Dodgers get uh, another base runner on, there's two outs, there's a runner at third, and who's coming to the plate with the game tied 5-5 five five in the bottom of the eighth? Mookie Betts. This is the Mookie Betts who went 4-4 four for four in the uh, Game 5 deciding game against the Giants. This is the uh, Mookie Betts who had already two base hits today and for the postseason is hitting four hundred. So with first base open, what do you do? You put him on. Intentional walk. You don't let the hottest bat get a chance to uh, get a hit in that situation. Now, it is true, to uh, be fair to uh, Snitker, that the on-deck batter was Corey Seager, who for the second consecutive game had hit a two-run home run. But still, with first base open, you don't let Mookie Betts beat you. You've you've got to take the bat out of his hands and you go with the, the player who is also hot, but not as hot as Mookie Betts. Plus, you put uh, Betts on first base. Now you've got to force out at, at second, which helps your defense. But on the very first pitch, Mookie Betts, line drive, base hit, right field, runner from third scores, six to five dodgers, and predictably, now with the Braves deflated, uh, Kenley Jansen comes in, one, two, three, shuts them down. Guarantee you that the Dodgers are going to win uh, tomorrow and Thursday. They'll be up three games to two going to Atlanta. When and where a fully rested Max Scherzer will go in and dominate and shut down the Braves. So the Braves had their chance. And they blew it. What else is going on in the baseball situation? Another manager who is uh, chronically known for losing in the postseason, Dusty Baker, uh, looks like he's going to lose again with the Houston Astros. And another uh, poor move in uh, yesterday's game. This would have been Game 3 of the American League Championship Series. With Boston already had 2 to nothing and the bases loaded... And the uh, or day, the uh, Astros starter clearly struggling, this is the playoffs. You can't lose. And again, with all the wheeling and dealing that goes on with the, the managers making all these moves and the analytics and constantly changing pitchers and looking at matchups, the irony is is that these managers, Leave pitchers in for too long. Like they won't make a move when it's obvious the pitcher in the game doesn't have his good stuff and he's not getting people out. And so what happens? Things fall apart. Do you, you, that's the crucial moment when the game gets away from you. So Baker decides to leave Urquide in uh, to uh, pitch to uh, Schwaber, the left handed slugger, and boom another grand slam. And I believe in uh, in game two, the Red Sox had hit two grand slams in that game. And so this so it's three grand slams for the Red Sox. And uh, that game turned it. Uh, I mean, you're down two to nothing. You make a pitching change. Base is loaded. You get out of the inning. You're only down three to nothing. That's still a ball game because the Astros can swing the bats. They can score some runs. But six to nothing, not realistic. You're baseball, you're down six to nothing. You're going to lose the game. So you've got to you've got to make a move when you still have a chance to limit the damage. Baker didn't do it, and the the decision by a Snitker to leave Luke Jackson in the game after two out of the first three batters that Jackson had faced today just doesn't make any sense at all. But then to make it even worse, to pitch to Mookie Betts with the with first base open. Very poor job uh, by, by Snitker. So the call here is definitely Dodgers uh, are going to be in the World Series. It's looking like a rematch of the 2018 World Series. It's going to be the Red Sox who, as uh, last we checked, ahead 2-1 uh, to one against Houston. But you can give uh, Houston credit for they're actually going to make it to the fifth inning and the game isn't a blowout in favor of the Red Sox at this point. Let's move on to football, and if we're talking about uh, firing people, um, let's see. It's uh, Nick Rolovich of Washington State, the anti-vaxxer, who just inexplicably refused all along to get vaccinated and never really gave a good explanation. Of course, there isn't a good explanation for uh, not getting vaccinated vaccinated unless you're contraindicated which is a medical term which means you you're liable to have severe life-threatening reaction to to getting a, a vaccine you should get vaccinated it's a no-brainer millions of people maybe even billions of people all around the world have gotten vaccinated and they're fine and the only people dying at this point are the unvaccinated so please get vaccinated if you have not done so already. But uh, back to uh, Rolovich, former uh, quarterback, has this job at Washington State, won't get vaccinated, won't get vaccinated. And the Washington State people had been telling him, you have to get vaccinated or you're done. Like you're not, you're not complying, you are a state employee he, Rolovich, wouldn't do it, and, and so he's gone. But uh, wouldn't give a, a good reason. Um, we also think of Kyrie Irving, who, and it's, it's a really good thing to know that there, there are some people out there with brains, and they're actually using them. Again, Cardinals front office firing Mike Schilt after that horrible, absolutely stupid, bullheaded move. To bring in uh, Alex Reyes, just idiotic. I mean, he was Schilt was just begging, uh, inviting a chance to lose that game by making that move. And now it's it's good to see Washington State follow through and just get uh, Rolovich out of there. And here's the thing: these coaches, people like Rolovich, are always saying how much they love their team and they love football and they love coaching and all that. Well, if you love it so much, just get vaccinated and you can keep doing this thing that you love. But the guy would give these mumbling answers and it's a personal choice and it's his beliefs. Like, What exact belief is it that you're, you're eager to be intubated and be in an ICU and die? Because this happens to people. It's happened to seven hundred and forty-six thousand Americans and counting. The United States is still averaging—that's four hundred—that's seven hundred and forty-six thousand dead of COVID nineteen in at this point twenty months, and we are still averaging a hundred thousand cases a day and two thousand deaths a day. Yesterday. Monday, October the 18th, 1,969 dead. So if you haven't already, again, please get vaccinated. Now, maybe the horrible loss to Georgia is not reason in and of itself to fire Mike Stoops. But we're going to go ahead and uh, say this right now. That, uh, excuse me, that's Mark Stoops, head football coach at the University of Kentucky. But Kentucky football has gone as far as it's going to go under Mark Stoops. Uh, Kentucky was timid and unprepared for the Georgia game. We know Georgia's really good. Georgia may be the national champion if they can finally beat Alabama in a big game. It's looking like that SEC championship game is going to be Georgia versus Alabama. Winner goes to the college football playoff. And the winner of that game will win the college football playoff. And yes, once again, an SEC team will be the national champion. But here's the way to look at Mark Stoops at Kentucky. Mark Stoops definitely made Kentucky better than they were under uh, Joker Phillips. But Kentucky could have hired Kermit the Frog and they would have been better than under uh, Joker Phillips. Uh, that forty to nothing loss to Vanderbilt in 2012, just about anybody could have done uh, better than that. Here is a way to look at the numbers for Mark Stoops. Uh, Stoops is six wins away from surpassing Bear Bryant as having the most wins ever at Kentucky, but Stoops is also six losses away from passing Bill Curry, the former Alabama coach who went on to be hired by uh, Kentucky in the early 90s from having the most losses as Kentucky coach. For his career, Mark Stoops is 1-14 and against top 10 teams and that one win was the win over this year's Florida team which after next week is certain to be 2-4. and in the SEC after they lose to Georgia, having just lost to LSU. So it turns out this Florida team, which everyone was going gaga over, that, wow, Kentucky beat them, really isn't that good. Uh, Florida's going to drop to 2-4 and in the SEC. Four losses in conference play means there's no way that Florida has a winning record in conference play. It's also, surprise, surprise, It also means Florida is no longer even ranked. I mean, forget that they're a top 10 team or that they're not a top 10 team anymore. They're not even ranked. So if you really want to look at Kentucky's season, despite all of the rah-rah, Mark Stoops, so amazing, wow, he's made Kentucky a national contender, built Kentucky into a, a great team. Well, here's the reality. They have six wins. Who have they come against? Well, five of the wins have all come at home. Two of the, uh, uh, and then there's the uh, the one win on the road against South Carolina, which other than Vanderbilt is the weakest team in the SEC. The third weakest team in the SEC is Missouri. That's another team that Kentucky's beaten, and they beat uh, Missouri in Lexington. So you have two wins over bottom feeders, Missouri and South Carolina. You have a win against a Florida team that's going to be two and four in SEC play and isn't going to have a winning record in uh, in conference play. Uh, then there is the win over LSU, who is probably the best team that Kentucky's beaten, and uh, rebounded from a season that, that was really uh, uh, starting to look like it was falling apart. Uh, but Ed Ogeron, uh, give him credit, uh, put it together, and they, they beat Florida. But even that game was played in Lexington. And then the other two wins, so that's, that's four wins, uh, in conference three of them at home none against ranked teams at this point and then the other two wins are a 5 point win against Chattanooga and then a tune-up win against Louisiana Monroe so if you really want to break down what Mark Stoops has done at Kentucky it's pretty mediocre I mean, there really isn't anything all that great. Now, it's not a surprise that Kentucky lost to Georgia, but what's so miserable and what's so upsetting is that Kentucky just got beaten badly. Kentucky basically lost the game 30-7, to but Kentucky scored one of the most undignified touchdowns ever in football when, with three seconds to go, uh, Kentucky scored another touchdown to say, hey, we scored two touchdowns against Georgia. And then, uh, fittingly, for, uh, karma had uh, Georgia block the, the extra point. But no, that is just unacceptable. This is Stoops' ninth season. Stoops dropped to 0-9 against Georgia. That's the toughest team that he has to face every year. Hasn't beaten them once. Of course, go on to social media And look at what all the Kentucky fans are saying. We're on trajectory as a program to become a national contender. Here's the thing, people. After nine seasons, you know what a coach is going to be. Now, if Stoops was in his third or fourth season, and they go in and they get waxed in Athens, then you can say, hey, we're getting better, we're getting better, we're getting better. But this is as good as it's going to be for Kentucky, and Here's the thing. If you're a Kentucky fan and you just want to hit the autopilot button and you say with the way that the SEC has been uh, divided into the SEC East and the SEC West, clearly the SEC East is the easier division to play in. You don't have to face Alabama. You don't have to face Auburn and uh, LSU every season. Uh, Arkansas... And Texas A and M are certainly better than Missouri and South Carolina. So Stoops has had a, frankly, pretty cushy ride when it comes to having to play in the in the SEC, especially not having to play Alabama every year. Uh, his record would look different if if that uh, if the Crimson Tide uh, were on his schedule, and every other year he had to go to Tuscaloosa. But if you want to. Speculate about what Stoops would do if Kentucky had to play those uh, SEC West teams, look at how Stoops has done against Georgia. 0-9. Best team that you have to play against you haven't won a single time in a decade. But the way it's set up, you figure you've got a tune-up game, you've got an out-of-conference Patsy game, you're going to end your season against Louisville, and... Louisville's not bad, but uh, that's not exactly the toughest game of the year that you're playing either. Uh, most seasons you can expect probably uh, to beat Louisville. You're going to win those uh, seven games. Oh, and then there's always uh, the uh, the cupcake game to bridge between finishing SEC play and then getting into um, the, the season finale against Louisville. So, when you add up the non-conference games against mid-majors, people like uh, uh, Chattanooga, and then um, Central Michigan, Eastern Michigan, those uh, directional teams that they're playing uh, from from out of conference. When you add those up, and then you've got games against South Carolina, Missouri, and Vanderbilt every year. It pretty much means Kentucky is always going to be bowl eligible. So if that's all Kentucky football fans care about. Then. Have at it. Pig out on your boring, meaningless wins. Uh, Let Mark Stoops be coach for life, just like John Calipari uh, with the basketball team. But if you ever want to get serious about really winning at Kentucky, winning a national championship in football, if Alabama can win the SEC in basketball, if Alabama can win the SEC tournament in basketball, if Alabama can whip Kentucky's butt twice, including a 20-point win in Rap Arena in basketball, if Auburn can beat Kentucky in a regional final to go to the Final Four, then why can't Kentucky beat Alabama in the SEC Championship game and then win the college football playoff? But if we're not going to think that way, then we're not serious about winning, and uh, Kentucky football is just being turned into another sideshow where it's all about just putting fans in the seats and selling memorabilia and making the money, but no, but there's no serious competition about winning. Moving on to basketball, we had the Big Blue Madness start the other night, and the the early take is, sure, by default, Kentucky will be better than they were last year, 9-16, but here's the reality with all of the transfers uh, coming in. We have Shavir Wheeler coming in from Georgia. We have uh, C.J. Frederick coming in from Iowa. We have Kellen Grady coming in from Davidson, and we have Oscar Deshwebe coming in from West Virginia. Combine, those four players won one NCAA tournament game. That was Frederick with Iowa winning in the first round. Then the second round, Iowa got blown out by Oregon, a game in which Frederick scored zero points in 13 minutes of action. So there really isn't anything all that great about those four transfers coming in. But the two players who really can supercharge Kentucky and elevate them and and make them better and make us remember that Kentucky basketball is a force to be reckoned with are Ty-Ty Washington and Damian Collins. Collins leapt over to Shwebe. This is the center for Kentucky. jumped over him to dunk the ball in a dunk contest. Now, normally, who cares about a dunk contest, right? Most of these basketball players are 6'7", 6'8". They're dunking on a 10-foot goal. Big deal. But this Collins apparently is a super amazing leaper. And a player with that kind of amazing raw athletic ability can definitely help you. And from everything that we've seen and everything that we've heard about Ty Ty Washington, this guy can really play and he can shoot so we think that Ty-Ty Washington has to be the point guard, Allah Brandon Knight. Remember Brandon Knight from the 2010-2011 team, got Kentucky to the Final Four, made that game-winning shot against uh, Ohio State in the regional semifinal. Then after uh, Harrison Barnes went berserk and scored 10 straight points by himself and tied the game uh, for North Carolina. Who comes down and gives Kentucky the uh, lead for good? Brandon Knight hitting a three-pointer to put Kentucky up 70-67. to Then it was DeAndre Liggins with a three-pointer from the right corner to put him up 73-69. to Kentucky wins that game 76-69. to Kentucky definitely has to be a much better three-point shooting team and overall much better on offense. And so the, the the take on this Kentucky team is that the shooters are there. But the question is, will John Calipari actually play them? And will he have multiple three-point shooters on the floor at the same time? And will Calipari finally get away from this archaic, miserable, low-volume three-point shooting, which is just, there's no way you're going to shoot the ball well when all of your uh shooters have a shot shot in the head and they're thinking well I've taken three shots and I'm only one for three so I better not shoot anymore if you want to be a good three-point shooting team you have to have the good shooters on the floor multiple shooters on the floor at the same time you've got to let them play and let them shoot and yeah they'll be streaky but streaky means they also get hot and when they get hot that's when you can blow people out but we've got the blue-white kentucky basketball scrimmage coming up this friday and then the season starts and we'll all be excited about that we can just forget about last year we have a, a big exciting game in madison square garden against uh against duke and it won't be that long until we can find out what we've really got and just how much uh john calipari has been able to improve his team and his program uh since uh, last year's rather disappointing uh season. Thank you for listening. Uh this is Dr. Dave Overby for the most Sports Podcast.
0: Find Dr. Overby's extended game analysis and philosophical ponderings on Facebook at facebook.com slash mopod dot sports. On Twitter we're at Sports O. Oh. And there's a poorly upkept webpage of episodes at psychicreform.com slash most sports. But we don't recommend relying on it. The webmaster is lazy. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or the RSS feed available at all the places. Join us next week for another installation of the most sports podcast, your source for intelligent analysis of sports. Sporty Sports Sports.